Oh 
And I have a father He calls me his own And he'll never leave me No matter where I go
Christ this morning. Amen, amen. He's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Key of G, you deserve the glory. You, you deserve the glory. Oh 
Amen. He, he can give you a healing touch like you've never had. Amen. He's the author of life. Amen. The healer of every disease. Glory to God. Man, we're going to change the service at this time. Man, I believe it'd be right to take our needs to the Lord. Don't have a very long list. It's a good thing. Amen. It means God's touching lives. Amen. But there's a few here we want to certainly remember in prayer today. If you'd remember our brother Keith Buchanan, he's not with us. He's just asking that you'd remember him in prayer. Um, Sister Mia uh, is not with us today, I think. Uh, she's working. Uh, at least I have a note here. So if you'd remember her in prayer. Um, and also, if you'd remember brother Richard and sister uh, Mary Smith in prayer. Amen. Certainly need a touch from the Lord. I have a little note here that I thought I would uh, read for them. <clears throat> Amen. It says, uh, Brother Barry, praise the Lord for the messages you've delivered from him. Thank you so much. Sister Mary has had a little better week regarding her pain. We believe the Lord has helped her endure. Man, she still has to go to the pain center on September the 8th, and she has some scans that she has to go through. So if you remember her in prayer, and he also uh, notes that he had his cataract removed last Monday and Tuesday, and his eye looked really good. He can see so much better in his eye, and he's thanking the Lord for that. Amen. Things are looking much brighter and clearer. Amen. Let's give God the glory. Man, it's amazing. It's amazing what the medical field has come to. Amen. I believe it's the grace of God. Amen. Healing comes through many avenues. And God could speak the word and heal you on the spot. Amen. Sometimes we go under the hands of a surgeon, some medication. Amen. It's all grace of God. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to remember them in prayer. Um, that's all I have at this time. And if we have unspoken prayer requests, you could raise your hands. Brother Ben Pritchard, would you come forward, brother, and, and pray over these special needs? Take them to the Lord for us. Amen. Lord can't come and uh, join with us. We pray that you just bless them where they're at, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be with them and bless them. Pray that you be with the remainder of the service. Bless Brother Barry as the word comes forth, that we may be uh, soil that, that that word can go and, and uh, seed can be put in and grow. And Lord, and uh, we pray that you just give us the grace we need, Lord, and get us through this next week and we can look to you and we give you praise and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ben. You can have your seats. Man, we have a couple specials today, and uh, we're going to sing a little song. And towards the end of the song, if Sister Kristen would be making her way up to the front, <clears throat> and she could sing her special. Let's sing this little song together and just, just lift our hands and praise and worship God together. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but sometimes I wonder what he
goodness this morning. Hallelujah. I'm going to try a song that was requested that I sing today. Thank you, Sister Kristen, for that beautiful, special amen. Such a blessing. Um, it's been a little while since I've sang this song, so uh, I hope it's a blessing. certain circumstances things I could not understand and many times in trials weakness blurs my vision and my frustration gets so out of hand but it's then I am reminded I've never been forsaken And I've never had to stand one test alone It's when I look at all the victories And the Spirit rises up in me Cause it's through the fire weakness is made strong He never promised that the cross would not get heavy And the hill would not be hard to climb Oh no, He never offered our victories without fighting But He said hill would always come in time Yes, just remember when you're standing in that valley of decision 
I know within myself I would surely perish. Oh, but if I trust the hand of my God, He'll shield the flames again. That the cross would not get heavy Or the hill would not be hard to climb Oh no, He never offered our victories without fighting But He said, it would always come in time yes. Just remember when you're standing that valley of decision and the adversary says give in just hold on our Lord will show up yes and he will take you through the fire again so just hold on our Lord will take you through the fire, friends. Let's stand this morning. Amen. We're going to take our morning offering. Man, I believe hearts and minds are ready for the word. Amen. Amen. Ready to see what God has in store for you? Amen. Amen. I'm excited to see you. Amen. Let's just be attentive to the word today and give it our all. Amen. Brother Tom Ward, if you'd lead us in prayer of the offering, brother. I don't know anything else to do but just sing praises to his name. Amen. Let's sing this little song together. I love this song. It just really, just really opens my mind and has a good spirit to it. Let's sing it together. We sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to Praises 
prepare all we want and Lord we can think about these things and 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 assemble them Lord quotes and different things but Lord it we know it requires the one who quickens the word to come on the scene Lord and make it real to us we don't want to be just hearers of the word but we want to be doers of the word and so we invite your presence Lord to come very close to every heart every mind Lord as we open them to you and Lord we pray that you would just come and deposit your word Deposit your message, Lord, in our hearts. We want to thank you, Lord, for uh, this place and, Lord, the atmosphere that's created, O oh God, and everybody who labors, Lord, to make it a, a lighthouse, a place, Lord, where people can come and be blessed in your presence. Have your way now, we pray, Lord. Look at us through the blood of Christ today. And, Lord, may your spirit move freely among us as we listen and we, we open our hearts to what you have to say. Lord, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' lovely name and for your glory, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Just for a moment, musicians, thank you. We'll let you uh, take your places there. And uh, we'll just do a little preliminary this morning and then we'll jump right into the word. Good to have all of you here today. Uh, May God bless you. Good to have uh, the folks back that were not well and uh, missing and nice to always have you here. I want to say this morning, I was blessed when I rode up and saw the parking lot full at uh, 10.15 and everybody back in Sunday school. I was, I was blessed uh, to see that. Were you blessed to be back in Sunday school? I mean, I thought it was just great. We are, uh, we are introducing some changes in our Sunday school and uh, physical changes, classrooms and so forth. Our, our real estate here, as you may have noticed, our real estate has gone way up in price per square foot. And uh, so if you've got a seat this morning, you consider yourself blessed to have that little bit of real estate. And uh, we are uh, we're juggling around for classroom space and parking lot space and all of that. Yeah, just a word of caution, you people that are parking up underneath this tree up there, you make sure you don't damage anything underneath that tree because that's my tree. <laughs> and I just want that to be very clear. But I'm glad that we are back in uh, Sunday school again and, and uh, really appreciate uh, our teachers and the, the enthusiasm they have for uh, for uh, being back in school and, and appreciate that very much. Now, um, a couple of birthdays here that we want to mention uh, today. Yesterday was Brother David's birthday. Brother David, there he is. How old are you, Brother David? 
Really? 55. That puts you in a kind of a, one of those categories, doesn't it? It does. Somebody's going to give you a discount somewhere. You know that? I don't know if that's a, that's a consolation, but uh, God bless you. We appreciate the, the Whitlocks very much. Ashley Buchanan and Emma Harwell graced the world this day many, many, many years ago. We are glad that they are with us, and God bless you both. Lorian Cockman, I saw her. God bless you, Sister Lorian. Happy birthday on the 29th. And we're glad to have Sister Caroline with us today. Back from school, Sister Caroline, God bless you, September 1st. And then Abigail McCafferty uh, has her birthday. There she is. God bless you, Sister Abigail. Did you want to get up and say something? For your... You're good? Okay. God bless you all. All right. Here are some activities not in order. And uh, you can, uh, let's, let's just take a quick look here. Next weekend is Brother Paul LaFontaine uh, and families, uh, not all the family, but some of them are coming. And uh, we're going to have two services on Sunday. It's a, uh, two services on Sunday at a regular time, 11 and 5, okay? And then on, on Monday, we'll have our picnic. It'll start around 11, and we'll eat around 1. So uh, you can uh, mark that on your calendar. And then uh, the next event is our Father... Uh, the men's camp out. We shouldn't be calling it father and son because uh, we don't want anybody to feel left out. But if you're male, uh, you're welcome to come on the, on the camp out. Let me tell you, it's, it's worth it. The food is great. Uh, and it's always, uh, always a blessing to be able to come. If you can't come for it all, come for some. Uh, it's, it's always a blessing. Uh, we have our fall, sorry, Brother Danny Steeman is coming in October 8th. Uh, on Sunday for two services, and then our fall fellowship uh, will be October 28th, and that'll be on Saturday. Uh, it'll be most of the day on Saturday. That's a special event, and so you want to make sure you uh, slot that in your calendar. Don't let anybody else over-slot your calendar. Uh, so it is a uh, good lineup. That's not all the lineup, but that is the lineup that we want to let you know, because I only have five squares. Well, let's stand to our feet, if you don't mind, and we're going to jump right in here without any further ado, and let's go to Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to look at <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to look at it in detail, so uh, this is where you want to put your marker, and I'm working towards a little series on the seals. We're not there yet, but we're, we're going to be doing that in a new seals book, and uh, if you don't have uh, a new seals book and you would like to have your own make sure you let sister doris know and uh we can do a number of of uh a reorder of the seals books that's the blue seals book if you don't have one because we're going to do that but revelation four and five are the the really important gap or bridge or breach between the church ages and the rest of the book of the, of the seals but in revelation chapter five we want to read there. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book 
neither to look thereon. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Now there are, there's not many ways you can make a plainer title than this. But I want to talk a little bit about today about the power of a name. Being sensitive to the time, but we want to see how, how the Lord leads us through this here. Before service, before I came out here this morning, I called a minister friend of mine who's going through a, a really difficult battle. And I, I know when his service starts. And so I called because I knew he'd be in a moment alone and I could catch him. Uh, if his office is anything like my office before service begins, it's like Grand Central Station because there's people coming and deacons coming and you know different things that are happening. And, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But I knew I'd catch him in just a moment of time where it'd be just him. Everybody tends to leave the minister before service begins, and, and I, I caught him. And he said, I thought this was a pocket call. And I said, no, I wanted to talk to you just for a minute here, because I know he's going through a great trial. And I said to him, one of the things that I have found and I have learned over the years is that you have to watch how the devil is fighting you. When you learn how the devil is fighting you and you recognize that that's his tactic, it makes it a whole lot easier for you to overcome that attack. And I said, you had to be sensitive to this. And I said, you know, some people, they have real family problems. And the devil just seems to be relentless against the family. Well, you know, buried somewhere in that family, there may be a real seed of God, a real person who's going to do great things for the kingdom. And Satan's doing everything he can to try to attack that family in order to discourage them and cause that family maybe to separate or, uh, you know, someone to, to walk away from the faith. There are times when we go through mind battles, right? There are some people who struggle with it right here. And they, they, they'll have doubts, they'll have anxiety, they'll have pressures, they'll have worries. And I will tell you something, that's often a, a situation where uh, the devil knows that God is going to use that mind. God's going to use that person uh, in a singular way. And I know people individually, some of you are here. That, uh, that are very gifted and talented, but where they struggle is right here. It's not physically, it's not financially, it's not in work, it's not at home, it's just right here. And, and very often it's because God's gifted a person a certain way, and Satan knows that if that gift goes unleashed, if it goes, uh, if it goes in full expression, uh, he's going to do great damage to the kingdom. Right? So I told this brother, I said, you have a great, you have a great effect on a lot of people, not only your church, but you have a great effect on a lot of people. And I said, watch how the devil is fighting you right at the moment. And he's going through a great, a great personal battle, a great thing. He's not done anything wrong or sinful or anything else, but gone through a great uh, struggle. And as a result of that, I said, uh, this is the way Satan's fighting you because he, does, he wants you to just kind of quit. Go buy a piece of land in Montana with a big hole in it and go down and uh, call that home. I said, if you do that, you might as well make the hole pretty big because there's a lot of preachers probably want to join you. 
Because Satan is, is deadly with the, with, the, uh, with the arrows of discouragement to try to get people to quit and walk away. And what's the point? And what's the use? And nobody listens. I can give you quotes where Brother Branham said, I was discouraged because I felt nobody was listening. Well, I want Brother Branham to know I was listening. Still am. But preachers feel that way. And, and Satan is deadly with discouragement. And I said, and, and for you, that's how Satan's fighting you because he wants you, uh, God wants you to use your gift for encouragement, not only your church, but for the bride as a whole. And I said, Satan is working on that to try to make you to throw your hands up in despair and walk away. Come on, folks. That's, that's when you think about this, think about how Satan fights you. Think, when, when you think about it, then you know how to apply his word against that particular personal battle that you're going through. And I'll guarantee you, if we went around the room here and I asked for how uh, uh, Satan's fighting you, all of you would probably give a slightly different answer. Isn't that right? But one of the most deadly ways that Satan discourages people is through their, through their sense of identity and who we really are. Now, there's been lots and lots of sermons about this, and I, wanted to, uh, I, I, I don't want to approach this kind of in a normal way, so, uh, which is probably not unusual for you. And, and so I want to just uh, give it in a personal sense here and talk about this whole subject of identity and how uh, we need to, to have a very, very secure and confident sense of who we are in Christ Jesus. Because that's one of the things that Satan is certainly going to, uh, to fight you on. That's for sure. Now, everybody with me so far? So there is a, um, a great story that is told about this lady. Her name is Mary Wilson. And uh, she was decorated with a silver star uh, in World War II. Uh, she was a person who was in, in what is well known and, and documented as the Battle of Anzio. And uh, the American forces were all gathered in World War II at the base of the heel uh, of Italy. And they were, they were going to launch an offensive from there. And uh, they had everything all planned out and everything was, was going really uh, well according to plan until it didn't. And, and the Germans showed up and pinned the Americans down uh, in, in that, on that coastline where they had really nowhere to go. Because if they came back up the peninsula, the Germans were there. And if they got out on the ocean, uh, then there was a naval battle. So it was a really tough spot. It was almost like Dunkirk again. And so it, it became known as a place where many, many Americans, uh, American, uh, Allied soldiers lost their lives. And uh, because the situation was so grave, they flew in 55 nurses there. And Mary Wilson was the leader of all of those nurses. And there was a lot of casualties, and they set up a surgery tent right, in the, right in, the, uh, in the area where the Americans were. And they were bringing lots and lots of wounded through there. And it got really bad. The battle turned bad. It turned against the Allied forces there. So they, uh, they gave the order, and they said, we're going to evacuate all of the nurses out. We're going to take all the women out of here, and we're going to take uh, any unnecessary personnel. We're going to evacuate them all. We're going to put them on a ship and take them out. And Mary Wilson heard that order, and uh, as a matter of fact, when, when she heard the order, they said that they actually had to duck in the surgery tent because there was bullets that were ripping through the surgery tent. And they were warned about this attack coming, and they all got down and uh, left a person on the table, but they all got down on the ground, and these bullets ripped, ripped right through the tent where they were standing. And... Uh, Mary Wilson was attending the surgeon who was uh, working with the wounded there, 
And they said, okay, we've got the order for everybody to leave. All the nurses are going to leave. And when she heard that order, she said, Mary Wilson would have none of it. And she refused at the gravest hour. And as she related her story later, later years when she received the medal, she said, how could I possibly leave them? I was a part of them. And for that, she was given the silver cross and a great, uh, great distinction for her bravery there. How could I possibly leave them? I was a part of them. In other words, she was identified, she was absolutely identified with her, her fellow soldiers, with her comrades in arms. And, and she said, you know, if, if, how, how, could, how can one part go and not the rest of the parts go? She said, we're all in this together. We're all going, we're, we're all fighting for the same cause. We're all uh, joined together in the same battle here. How can I go and leave them? I was a part of them. And that was her testimony. And I thought, wow, if that's, if that's a testimony of a soldier, a nurse, who's you know, in, the, in the thick of, of battle and has uh, that level of danger around her, but yet decides to say. I, I, I thought to myself when I read that story, I thought, wow, by God's grace, all of us, all of us would have the determination in our hearts that we're going to stand through this with one another, no matter how difficult it gets and no matter how dark it gets. Hey, it's not dark today. Nobody's shooting at you today. Nobody's, uh, nobody's arresting anyone because they're coming inside this building today. And I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have the comforts we have and the setup that we have. Uh, but you know what? No matter how dark it gets, if it gets dark, I, I, I would want to have this determination that, I, hey, I, I couldn't possibly leave. They're, they're a part of me. I'm a part of them. And I think that's the way people should be in their attitude towards the body. We're not just hanging around because the meals are good. We're not just hanging around because, you know, I get to play the piano or I'm in the choir. That's not why we're here. That, that should not be why we're here. We're here because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. Now, let me give you a, a little uh, a couple of statements here. I saw recently on, on a headline, it was on, online, and it said there was a, one of those things that are baiting you to click on this website and it said, uh, like, the most beautiful, uh, just for example, the most beautiful pictures of planets in the world, uh, number 12 will blow your mind. You ever seen one of those? And so, <laughs> it's hard not to, and it's hard not to jump to number 12, right? So I'm going to do this. I've got some really interesting statements here, some you've heard before, but number 17 is going to blow your mind. That's, that's really true. All right, now, when, in John 18, when Jesus, therefore, knowing all things should come upon him, and when he went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? This is the garden of Gethsemane. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon then, as he said, said unto them, I am Jesus? No. I'm the son of Joseph? No. He said, I'm he. In other words, he didn't even mention his actual name. They went backward and fell on the ground. There was a power somehow exuded. There was a power that came out from uh, Jesus' words when he said that. And, and they're, they're looking for him. Uh, they, they asked, said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus and Nazareth, we're looking for him. Who is he? And he says, I am he. 
And, and with saying, saying that, there was such a presence that was there, I guess, they just fell back on the ground. Imagine them scrambling. They're the soldiers there to pick up Jesus. And now they're all on the ground. They're scrambling to get back up. And, and he says they, uh, you know, they, they went eventually and took Jesus away. And then right next to, after this verse is when Peter took his sword out and cut the ear off the high priest servant. And uh, all of that battle took place. These are men who are ready for battle. And they're all on the ground here because Jesus simply says, I am he. Now I need you to know this morning at the beginning here that when it comes to the power of a name, it's not so much the physical name like Cohen Pritchard. It's not so much the saying of his name. That's not what matters. What matters is what's behind that. Right? That's what counts. And, And I could claim to be somebody I'm not. And I could, I mean... We, we could even experiment with this. I could get Hunter up here and, and uh, you know, I could say to Hunter, I am he, and see if he falls back. He prob- Do you want to? No, we're good. Because it, it's, it's, not, it's not me, but it's the power that's in me. So when Jesus did it now, there was such a presence there. And remember now, he's stepping into the fulfillment of the word for his life. Right? This is what's prophesied of him. And he's, in, he's standing in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to surrender his life as a suffering Savior. And so he stands there. And when he does and says that, remember all of the power of God, uh, all that God was, was poured into him. And so he's standing there and there's such a presence there. It, it just absolutely flattens everybody who's standing around. It's not, it's not J-E-S-U-S. It's the power that's behind that name. Can you say Amen. That's, that's what's important here. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 7, John calling unto him two of his disciples sent, sent to Jesus. Think about this now. I want you to think about this verse. When you think about our identity, this is John the Baptist. And John calling unto him two of his disciples sent unto Jesus and said, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? If you struggle with this whole idea of having confidence in who you are, am I really a son or a daughter of God? Am I really who the message says I am? Am I really who the Bible says I am? Am I really who Brother Barry says I am? And you struggle with that. You wrestle with that. You're in good company because John the Baptist did exactly the same thing. John wasn't necessarily doubting Jesus here. He's doubting himself. Because if Jesus is not that one, then I'm not that one. Right? I'm, according to the scripture, he's a forerunner, one that comes and makes straight paths for the Messiah to come. And if Jesus is not that one, I'm not that one, and who am I? You understand what's going on here? He's not just asking like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% confident over who I am, but I'm not sure about Jesus here. Can you go check it out and make sure he's the one? That's not the way he's saying that. He's saying that, look, here I am in jail. I'm supposed to be a prophet. I'm supposed to be a forerunner. And all these things are happening out there. And I'm in jail. And I'm in a lot of trouble. I could lose my head over this. And, and I've got, uh, you know, I've got a following out there and I'm not there. And Jesus is out there and I'm not there. 
And there's all kinds of things being fulfilled. I know that because God's dealing with my heart. He's got the spirit of Elijah on him and he knows that God is doing things and here I am in jail and he's sitting there in that rot and that filth and he can't do anything about it. And he's got the king and the king's wife who are mad, very mad at him. And we know that's true because they eventually cut his head off. And, and so we, we see John the Baptist in there and he's asking this thing, could all of this, could all of this really be who the prophets said it would be? And am I really that person? Can you relate to what John's thinking in the prison there? To the point where he calls for a couple of friends of his, followers of him, and say, look, if you don't mind, go ask Jesus. Now his frustrations become public. Now they're going to go ask Jesus, and Jesus is going to give an answer, right? It's not like he can text Jesus. He's got to ask publicly. Back, back in the old days when people actually talked, I'm sorry, I, I just have to say this. I, this has nothing to do with anything, but I think social media is way overboard and all the rest of it, you know. And I, I, personally, pers personally, there's one aspect of social media that I cannot, I cannot understand. And that is, why, that is when two people are sitting on the same couch texting one another <laughs> instead of talking to one another. I'm sorry, you may do that. And if you do, I'll pray for you. But for me, I'm not going to do that. I, I, anyway. Now watch now what he says. If you go to a certain denomination, Brother Rams, this is the message identification, and he preached this about 14 times. It's one of the most common uh, sermons that he ever preached. And he said, if you go to a certain denominational church, like a Methodist, Presbyterian, and, and so forth, you have to have something to identify yourself if you're going to speak. Do you know, do you know that that spirit has actually crept into the message? And I won't mention any names, but I will. If it, if it gets any worse. You have to have a credential or a fellowship card or something to identify yourself as where they know you come from and what you're going to say. That's the point. If I've got the credential of that denomination, then they know I'm not going to come up with some crazy doctrine because I'm going to say what the Baptists say or the Presbyterians say, right? I'm not going to come up with a non-Trinitarian uh, sermon or something else. So when you have the ID, it, it, it determines what you're going to say in advance. And you have to be identified. It's an identifying age. And you can't be... Uh, you can't be uh, uh, you know, allowed, you can't have permission, you can't have entry into that circle or that community without the ID. You can't do it. And so that's a, that's a really important thing. Now everybody, he says it's an identifying age. I'm reluctant to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Remember last Sunday there was a prayer request given for a wallet that got lost? Anybody remember that? Thanks for none of you people praying. But no, I'm only kidding. But I lost my wallet last week. Remember last week, the disaster week, right? At the end of the disaster week, I lost my wallet. Now, I don't know about you, but my whole life is, is embedded in my wallet somehow. And all the cards, my driver's license, my concealed carry permit, God forbid, everything is in there. But more importantly, my frequent sandwich cards are in there too. <laughs> Hey, what are you laughing at? I have several 
frequent f sandwich cards. You know where you get a sticker every time you get a sandwich and get 12 and get one free? I take that serious. I don't know why you're still laughing, Tyler. All of them were gone. It impacted me so much, even David gave me his. Bless his heart. So now everything is gone, right? <laughs> so the only, the only thing I have, he's laughing because he knows where this is going. The only thing I have is my wife's bank card. Because i got to have something in case I run out of gas. I'm driving without a driver's license. Don't, you kids, don't listen to this part. I'm driving without my license. I call the police. I file police reports, everything else. I lost it in Statesville. And, uh, you know, uh, the, even the policeman told me. He said, when I talked to him, he said, he said uh, I, I said, what are the chances of getting this wallet back? He said, in Statesville? Are you kidding? He said, it's a terrible place. He said, You're, you can forget that. But nobody, by God's grace, nobody has stolen my wallet and used it. So there's been no fraudulent activity. And I'm thankful for that. So anyway, I, the only thing I have now, I have a wallet that my wife bought me and I hadn't transitioned yet. So I, have a, I had a new wallet. And I, I have that with me today. And I had her check card in there so I could purchase stuff and I could get gas and different things like that. But it says Marva Coffee on it. And so uh, my wife says, look, we got to have something from the pharmacy at Walmart. And uh, if you don't mind... Why don't, you, why don't you go pick it up when you're in town today? we gotta, got to have it. So I said, okay, no problem. We'll do it. On our, me, and, me and Brother David were out. It was the last Tuesday, and we were on an errand. And uh, <clears throat> we said, okay, we'll stop in. So I, go, I said to him, I said, wait here. I'll run into the pharmacy, and I go in. And I said, we need some syringes. We need syringes for my father-in-law because he was getting an injection. The needles were too big, so we needed smaller ones, right? So we need syringes. Now, it happens to be a day that we're working. We're doing construction work at the house. And uh, so I'm dressed in my old, tattered clothes, right? Paint on them. I mean, it's just terrible looking. It's hot. We're sweaty. And we're just in rough shape. And so I'm standing there, <laughs> and uh, I go up. And now the nurse, the home nurse, assured us that, oh, hey, go to, go to Walmart. They'll give me no problem. Every, anyone can go in and buy them. I said, are you sure? I mean, syringes. And they, she said, yeah, no problem at all. Then it dawned on me. She goes in dressed in her nurse's uniform, and she's got a badge, right? No wonder they're going to sell it to her. So I'm in there in my ratty clothes. I look ratty, but I was just going to dip in to get them. And she says, you want what? And I said, syringes. They told me I could get some syringes here. And... Um, she just, she just looking at me like the evil eye. And she said, where do you get your insulin? And I had this funny feeling. This is not going to go well. <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> That's what they all say, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, who's it for? My father-in-law. Well, he, takes, he, he, he doesn't even take insulin. It's not for insulin. It's for something else that the doctor wants to give him. Well, duh, why didn't the doctor give him a needle? If they're, you know, they're... So I said, so it's, it's not for me. It's for him. And she said, well, okay, let's see your ID. And it dawned on me. Ah, oh, I only have my wife's ID. <laughs> and now she's looking at me like, like you're looking at me like, yeah, right. 
Now, the line is forming behind me, right? These people are making faces behind me. And I'm, <clears throat> I, I said, I, I, my wallet was lost. Now I'm holding my wallet, showing her, because I got my new wallet. I said, my wallet's lost. And she's looking at the wallet saying, there's a line for people like you. It's over here, the straitjacket section. And I, I said, I only have one card, and it's my wife's card. And I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have any ID. It's coming in the mail. She said, do you have anything that identifies who you are? And I said, well, the only thing I can tell you is that I have my phone. And I opened up my phone and, and showed her my picture on the front of the phone there. It's me and, me and Sophia, my granddaughter, and we're on the front of the phone. She said, I'll have to get the manager. <laughs> so, I mean, this is going downhill, right? Now the people behind me are making faces. They're, they're shaking fists and things, you know. Who is this guy? So there's only one line, right? It's Walmart. Everybody's there. And so uh, the manager comes out, and he, he does the same thing. He asks, hey, do you have any ID? No, you don't have any ID. Well, what happened? You know, I don't have it in my Statesville. The policeman told me this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have it. It's all coming in the mail and so forth. And I said, now, now look, I said, if it's any consolation to you at all or anything that might count, you may not believe this, but I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what they all say. <laughs> so I'm like a homeless derelict who's lying through his teeth, who needs a fix, has no money, has no, no money of his own, has no ID, has nothing. And he's just standing there telling lies to the manager of the pharma- pharmacy. <laughs> so I just did this deer in the headlights kind of a look. And I said, but my father-in-law really needs these needles. And he just looked at the woman. He said, all right, go ahead. And he typed in a code and, you know, he said, he walked off. And so she, she rings it up. Reluctantly, she rings it up and puts it all on the thing there. And then she says, uh, all right, it'll be a dollar and five cents. <laughs> I said, do you know John Harwell? Because right now is about the time you'd say, really? Are you, we, I went through all of this for a dollar and five cents. And she said, yeah, it's a dollar and five cents. I said, I don't have any cash. I said, I, I got to use my wife's card. Look, buddy, you can use whatever you want. We just need to get you out of here. And the people behind me are all breaking out into an applause. Right? Yeah, get them out of here. The homeless shelters down the road. So I swiped her card and got it and got out of there. I'm never, ever going back again. <laughs> now, all, here's the thing. All of that's true, isn't it? All of it's true. And uh, it's been fun. It, it really has been fun. But here's what Brother Bram says. You have to be identified. This was an issue in Brother Bram's household because his wife never had a driver's license. And as, as things progressed in the United States in the 50s and 60s, she became increasingly confined because she didn't have a driver's license and didn't want to get one. And he said, but it's an identifying age and everybody has to have one. So now, here's what's important. We also, the Christian church itself, how many believe you're part of the Christian church, the bride of Christ? 
which is not of a denomination. We also, the Christian church itself, which is of no denomination, but a nature. Understand what he's saying. Your ID card is not a denominational card. It's a nature. Wow. So the thing that you show to prove who you are is not some card or a, a lapel pin. It's not your size of your church. It's your nature that tells you're a Christian. Ha, you know what? It can steal your wallet till the cows come home, but it can't take your nature. If you've got, and, and if you've got the nature of Christ, nobody can take that away from you. Satan can't take that away from you. And look at what he says. We also, the Christian church itself, we, in other words, we also, we have an ID. Everybody's got to have an ID. It's an identifying age. We have an ID. Thank God we have an ID. It's a nature, the nature of Jesus Christ. It's the mystical body of Christ, and it's identified also. It bears identification. Jesus identifies himself. Now, I've said this to you before. We don't need to bear his physical image. We don't need to have a beard, and we don't have to look like this. We don't have to look like Brother Branham. Come on. You don't have to sound like Brother Branham. You don't have... I remember one time I told you before, I, I had a, a fellow who had a Bill Bell buckle. I thought that was really funny because his name wasn't Bill. But he, he was... There's a picture of Brother Branham's a cowboy and he's leaning on something and he's like this and he's got jeans on. He's got a Bill Bell buckle. Somebody made him a belt buckle. I had the word Bill. Naturally, because his name was Bill. And this brother was, you know, walking around and he had, you know, he had a pair of jeans on. He had a Bill Bell buck. And I said, I believe, Brother Bam said, now watch now. He says, we don't necessarily have to be that to reflect his physical image, but we must. Here's what we must. In our souls, that's really important. So in other words, it's got to come from the inside out. All right, that's what, he, that's what he's saying when, when it talks about in the soul. From the inner man, it's got to come from in there and reflect his spirit image and his manner of life. Why? Because it's his life in me. So if I'm going to reflect anything, let me reflect Christ. That's not a decision, that's a response. I said that's not a decision. I, I, we don't wake up in the morning and say, well, uh, I'm going to reflect Christ today. All day, I'm going to do that. I, I've decided I'm going to do that. How's that going? There's a lot of times when we'll, we'll make mistakes and we'll stumble and you find out you're not reflecting Christ real well. Now, I, he said, I believe it's a reflection of Christ in a human being for we are members of his body and we bear his image. And what kind of an image was he? He came not to be a great somebody, but he came to be a servant. He came to, not to be ministered to, but to minister so if Jesus is reflecting his character in a human being, what does that look like? Well, it looks like ser uh, being, having a servant's heart. <clears throat> and a servant doesn't go around telling the master what the servant wants. He doesn't tell the, ser the master what he's going to do, right? Are you with me? If, if, you're, a, if you're a servant of somebody, uh, then you know what? You better become acquainted with the rules or the desires of the master because that's what you're to carry out if you're a servant, right? Common sense would tell us this. We're all, we're all on the same page with that, right? That's why, you know, sometimes I'm amazed that some people, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they can be so disrespectful. I'm not talking about you at all. Believe me, I'm not talking about you at all. 
<clears throat> but there are people who can be so disrespectful and, and, and younger to elder. And whether it's teenagers to parents or parents to grandparents or whatever else, they can be so disrespectful and feel like it doesn't matter. I, I, this, it's who I am. And I just need to express myself. Well, let me tell you, I don't doubt that you're expressing yourself, but that expression ought to be the character and nature of Christ. If you claim to be a part of the bride of Christ. It better be. And, and that's what's really, really important. And I, I, listen, this goes for me and my family and everybody else. I, none of us are exempt from this. If the Spirit of Christ lives in me, if that's his nature and his life in me, then my job, my responsibility, my role in this thing is to express the nature of Christ. And I ought to do whatever I can to feed that, to make that big so it overflows naturally and, uh, you know, uh, kind of automatically. I, I should be doing that rather than trying to put on something that is not really uh, the real true expression of my heart. There's nothing worse than what God doesn't like is when you got something different going on in your heart and something else coming out of your mouth that's different and you're trying to act like a certain way and trying to put up a front and trying to pretend and all of that. Let me tell you, that does not impress God. It doesn't impress God. I believe, he said, it's a reflection of Jesus Christ in the human being. Now, so let's look at a couple of examples, okay, real quick here. The church in its condition, 1956. You've got to be led by the Spirit of God. And the only way you can be led by the Spirit of God is to keep gentle and not know a whole lot. You've got to be led by the Spirit of God. Because sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Isn't that right? And the only way to be led by the Spirit of God, the only way is to keep gentle and not know a whole lot. Because if we're talking about in the, in the natural kingdom, like uh, sheeps and doves, uh, they're both skittish and they're easily scared. And if you're not a lamb-like nature, you're going to scare away that dove and uh, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. You're going to be without leadership. So the only way to be led by the Spirit of God, which is represented by the dove, is to be gentle and not know a whole lot. Be sheep-like. Okay, are we all right? Well, oh, you think, I, I know a whole lot. You get your brain all worked up and, and it won't even work and it can't even work itself. You know all the books and the answers and the Greek and the Hebrew until uh, you got no place for the dove to roost, but you know it all, and then the dove can't lead because you know too much. Now that's not you, but you may know somebody who might need to hear that. <clears throat> Ready? We're not at 17 yet. Now bear with me here. This is the harvest time. Brother Bram deals with this specifically. This subject here in harvest time. So let me give you a couple of screens and then we're going to divert just for a little bit. I want you to catch the picture now. Remember now, we're talking about identity, my true identity, and making sure it's sure. I want to be sure about who I am and I want to be sure about my own personal identity in Christ. The bride as a whole has to be sure of their identity too. But that's a little bit different than because it's easy to feel identified and feel connected when you're in a group like this. Uh, but when you're out alone on the battlefield, when you're out there, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a battle like uh, Mary Scott was, you know, in Anzio, and you're out there uh, in, in the heat of the battle, are you sure, are you sure that you are who you are? Because if you're not, the devil's going to hit you right there. He's going to attack you right there. Just like John the Baptist did. He's sitting in that prison there and he's wondering, man, am I really that forerunner? Am I really that guy? All right, so watch now. God, after Adam had fell... God, after Adam had fell, continued in his creation, in his creative work, to try to find a man who'd live by every word and live the word for his age. That's all God was looking for, was a man after his own heart who would live the word for his age. He's infinite, 
omnipresent, and he goes on and talks about that, because the way he predestinates by foreknowledge, not because he desired that this person would be saved and this one lost, but he knew who would be lost and who would be saved. So God can know in advance what you're going to do, right? God doesn't need to see you do it to find out whether you're going to do it or not. Because God doesn't look at situations like we do. And therefore, by his foreknowledge, this is, this is, you've heard all of this before, but I just want to run through it real quick here. By his foreknowledge, he can predestinate, I know who my bride is. I know him well enough that I can write him in, the, in a book, and I can keep that book. And everyone who's on the book, all the Father has given me will come to me. Therefore, by his foreknowledge, he can predestinate, and he makes everything work to his glory. That's what his attributes are, displaying his glory. Hey, listen, God can even make disasters in your life work for his glory, because he'll get your attention in ways that the blessings of God will not get your attention by. Right? God can let your marriage fail. God can let your household fail. God can let all kinds of things go bad and wrong in your life, and all it's intended to do is to make you look up to him and not to anybody else, because you realize, i got nobody else to look to. I got nobody else who cares. I got nobody else who can fix this, including moi, and I can't do this, and I need God. And that is God working everything out for his glory because he has to have a way for you to come to a place to decide, that's who I want to serve. I want to surrender to God. And, and God knows how to do it. He's real good at that. It's not him that willeth or him that runneth, but it's God that showeth mercy. And, no, and Brother Bram is using the scriptures here that help uh, solidify this. And no man can come to me except my father draws him. And all the father hath given me will come to me. All the father hath, past tense, will come to me, the word, the future. He says, how can they come unless they're foreordained to come? And as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Because their names, because, because, all of that's true, because their names are on the book. And he come to redeem what was in the book. It's important. It was in a meeting the other night, same, same message here, Harvest Time. It was in a meeting the other night, and somebody sang a special. And they sang, I wonder if John saw me when he saw all the nations gather. Did he see me? I wonder did John see me. That's a song. He said, sure he did, if your name's on that book. Yes. Yes, God saw you. God saw you. And when John looked at the book, did John see me? Who did John see when he looked at the book? Did John see me? Well, I'm sure John looked for his own name, right? Even though his name, John, is not there. He said, but sure, it's not there because that's not how our names are written on the, on the Lamb's Book of Life, right? But John, John looked down the book and, and the song is written. I wonder if John saw me when all the nations gathered together and so forth. Did he see me? Brother Bam says, sure he did. If your name's on the book, sure he did. John's name was on it too. And he wept because there was nobody could touch it. And one of the elders came and said, weep not, John. And John was looking around to find a line. The line of uh, Judah has prevailed. And John was looking around for a line. But he saw a bloody lamb come out and took the book uh, uh, out of the right hand of him and called everything that was on that book. He called for everything that was on that book. And it's a complete book of redemption. This is it. How many believe that's a symbol? Yeah. Weep not, John, for the line of the tribe of Judah. All right, let's look for the line. And when he looks, there's a lamb come out. Why? Because Jesus didn't die on the cross as a line. He died as a lamb. Right? So the lamb redeemed those that were on the book. And then he comes forth triumphant as a line, the leader. And he says, here's the book. John, take a look. And John sees his name on the book. Right? Are we okay? This is 101. The book of redemption, that's what, that's what this book is. 
He redeemed all that was in the book, not out of the book. Jesus Christ died to redeem all that were on the book, not outside the book. And anything that had a beginning has an end. But if you've got eternal life, you never did begin and cannot end because you're sons and daughters of God, attributes of his thoughts and his word. You are as real to your father as my boys are to me. The difference is that I couldn't know them before they were born. And that's probably a good thing. I'm just saying. You have, he said, you have no ending of life. If your name is on that book, you have no ending of life. If your name's on the book, that's all right. Say this after me. I have no ending of life because my name's on the book. My life will never end. The Lamb came to redeem it, came to secure it, came to make it real. Not all that profess Christians, not all that try to live good and holy, remember it's got to come from the soul, right? It's got to come from the inside. But those whose names are written on there, he redeemed that and that alone whose names are on the book. Everybody said? I'm sorry, there's a lot of words and he's kind of saying the same thing, but he's just saying it in some different ways there. It's not the people who profess and say, Lord, Lord, surely we've done many great works and so forth. But those whose names are written on there, he redeemed that. That's what Jesus died to redeem was that, those names who were on the book. Now here's the difference between you and God. Or I can say it this way. Here's one of the differences between you and God. When we know something, we tend to look backwards. We understand Jesus died for my sins. Oh, well, in doing that, he fulfilled Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Ah, okay. Well, then I go back a little further and I realize that's what it meant when they applied the blood. Right? The token. Everybody with me? Click. Now I go back to the lamb in the Garden of Eden. Ah. In other words, I understand backwards. That's okay. Because we're limited in that way. We don't have a finite mind, right? So I know what Calvary meant. And then I realized... That's what David was talking about. That's why Moses gave the commandment of applying the blood. And that's what that lamb dying in the Garden of Eden was all about. Huh. That's how we understand things. Let me show you how God understands things. When God slew the lamb, he knew there was coming an applying of that blood, the token. And when he inspired David, you know what? He knew one day Jesus would hang on the cross. God is not looking backwards to know. He's looking ahead because he knows. Do you get the difference? This is how we learn. 
Calvary, ah, this means that to Calvary. This means that to David. This means that to the Egyptians here. Ah, it clicks that way. That's not the way God understands something. God can know the future. That's what you're limited to know. You can't know the future. And that's why when it talks about all the names that were predestinated on the Lamb's Book of Life, God could look ahead and see it just as clearly as you can look behind and see that. Does that make sense? So God could write the book because he knows the outcome before the outcome occurs. He could slay a lamb and knew that it meant that one day Jesus would hang on the cross uh, because of uh, Roman cruelty and all the things that would have to happen in order to get Jesus to that place where he would die and all of the things that, that all the prophets who came and all the things that were said. And here's David saying, oh my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And he has no idea what really, what, what the expression of that really means. He knows what it means for him, but he doesn't know what it means for you. Are you with me? He doesn't, he doesn't know that there's a Gentile bride waiting to be redeemed. He doesn't know that there are names on the Lamb's Book of Life that include you. He doesn't know that there's a Gentile bride through seven ages there. He doesn't know that. He only knows, my God, my God, why are they persecuting me? Why have they, have they afflicted me? And David in his anguish is crying out, but he doesn't realize he's actually being inspired of God to say what he's saying without the Holy Ghost. Think about that now. <clears throat> Welcome to 17. The entire Bible, <clears throat> if you don't hear anything else now, hear this. The entire Bible is the revelation of God's mystery in Christ. Stop. In other words, <clears throat> what we're looking at here in Christ is the mystery God revealed is stuff that's only been reserved for prophets up to now. Only prophets got to see things like this. You read the sermons, Christ the Mystery of God Revealed, and you see Brother Branham said, <clears throat> he said, this was, this understanding, he said, was tucked away out in the gable end of the mind of God. I've said to you before, the gable end is that place where the rafter and the roof meet like this. It's that little place that you don't want to crawl out in, unless you're an AC guy. Those HVAC guys can get themselves in those little tiny corners. I can't. But it's that little spot in the roof out there where the roof angle and the, and the, the ceiling meet out there. It's that gable end. And it's a little tiny place in the mind of God. And Brother Brown says, this is what I'm bringing to you today. Christ is the mystery of God revealed. In other words, that's the place where only prophets went. That's the place where God revealed things to prophets. And guess what? He gave it to us. In the last age, come on, somebody ought to feel privileged here that God allowed you to live in the last day when ordinary people like us, ordinary, ordinary common human beings who are not prophets and preachers and all of that, and we're not, uh, you know, the gifted of the ages. We're not that. We're just ordinary believers who believe the word. But God said, I want you to get what is hidden in the mind of God that only prophets get, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to put it in a blue book and give it to you. Pretty, pretty neat. The entire Bible is the revelation of God's mystery in Christ. Isn't it true every age didn't have that revelation? Isn't it true? They didn't have that revelation of the entire Bible which revealed Christ. They didn't have it, but guess who's got it? 
The entire Bible is an expression of one goal that God had, one purpose that he wanted to achieve in the, in the entire Bible. And all the acts of the believers in the Bible has been in type, expressing what God's great goal is. All God was, he poured into Christ. All Christ was, he poured into the bride to gather it all back and live together forever. Right? I mean, that's like kind of a quick summary here. All right, now hold on. The underlined part in bold, this is number 17. Pay attention here. All the acts of the believers. How many believers do we have here? Don't be ashamed to raise your hand if you're a believer. All the believers, all the acts of the believers, all the acts of this church should be an expression of God's purpose, which is to express Christ. Right? All. Really? I'm just saying what the tapes say. All. Say it with me. All. Wow. Ain't no way. <laughs> Ain't no way, folks. Ain't no way. Unless Christ lives in me. Ain't no way. But what Brother Bram's telling us is that our actions, and don't put, your, don't put this quote off to Bible people back in Paul's day in Smyrna. You probably have never even been to Smyrna. I have. There's only a handful of people there who believe the gospel anyway. I've been to Ephesus and Pergamos and all the rest of it. Don't put this back to Old Testament times here. Are you, are you? All the acts of the Bible. Hey, we're a part of the Bible. Come on, aren't you a part of the word? If you're on the Lamb's Book of Life, you're part of, much a part of the Bible as people in the first age were. Come on, don't, don't draw back on that. All the believers in the Bible, that's me. Because the Bible talks about me. The Bible talks about you. It's been, in, in, a, in type, it's been expressing what God's great goal is. So some way or another, the things that the Holy Spirit leads you to do really are an expression of that purpose and the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants in your life. As a matter of fact, he wants to do more of it. He wants you to express Christ to the world. So let me give you an example. You remember back in Hosea, when Israel was wayward, they were rebellious, they were hard-headed, they didn't want to listen to God. And the Lord said to Hosea, go and take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So you can look at it yourself later on, the rest of it. But God says, I want you, I want you Hosea, to go and marry a certain kind of a woman. Probably not a woman that he would normally, ordinarily choose. But God says, I want you to do this because it's an expression, it's an expression of where Israel is. Okay? But go down to the bottom of the page there, and he says in verse, when we get it, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. In other words, they're hard-headed. They're, like they're like a woman of ill fame. They're just uh, like a, they prostituted God's word, and they prostituted the land, and so forth. They've brought idols in. They've done all kinds of things they should never do. But, but here's what I want, Hosea. You may not understand this. You may not really realize this, but after the Gentile bride is taken away, I'm going to reach out in my mercy and have mercy on the house of Judah. Do you think that Hosea went to the altar realizing what God was actually doing back there? He didn't lean over to his wife and say, I'm only marrying you because of a type. And one day God will show mercy to Israel. And he's gonna, so just kind of go through the motions here. God's got it all worked out. 
I'm okay. I'm in the will of God. You may not be, but you're going to be after you marry me because we're going to be just so don't, don't say anything. Just say I do. Do you think Hosea had it figured out? No, sir. <clears throat> Here's Brother Branham again. He says, now, I, I, Brother Vale and Brother Branham are in a coffee shop. And they're going over details of the church age book. Okay? That's what they're talking about. You can read the passage here. And I said, look, Brother Vale, David one day, after being thrown from the throne by his own son, Absalom, He's just giving him an example now. He said he was thrown off the throne by his own son Absalom. It caused a mutiny. Israel was going out of the city. Israel was divided. David was took off the throne by his own son, going out of the city weeping. And a guy that didn't like the end days message. Look what he says. He doesn't like David. He doesn't like, he doesn't like church. He doesn't like all this stuff, all this message stuff. He doesn't think he needs that. So he's looking at David walking out of the city, a rejected king. And he said he didn't care for him. He didn't care for David. Little old fellow, kind of crippled up, going along there making fun of him, and spits on David. He spits on David. And the guard draws his sword and said, I'll, he said, I'll let the head of that dog stay on him. That spit on my king. He says, no, sir. Let, David says, let him alone. The Lord told him to do that. You know why? Because the Bible is, and all the believers in it, are expressing God's purpose from before the foundation of the world. So do you think David leaned over to the guy with the sword and said, hey, buddy, it's all right. You, look, you don't realize, but several hundred years later, Jesus of Nazareth is going to go up the hill with a cross on his back, and people are going to spit on him. So I'm just doing this now. I'm letting this happen now because it's got to happen later. No. You know what he's doing? He's going through it. David's going through it. He's going through the feelings of rejected king. He's going through the motions of how I, Samuel told me I was to be a king. Imagine what's going through the mind of David. Come on. Samuel anointed me as a king. Samuel anointed me as a king of this people. And here I am walking out of the city and people are yelling at me and spitting on me. And he just goes ahead and does it. You know why? Because the Spirit of God has such control in his life that he's a walking fulfillment of the word for his day. And it doesn't come to pass for hundreds of years later. You might think, you might think it's odd that God led you to this church. You might, well, how did I get here? You know, or I was born here. My parents always went to this church, and, and, but they didn't, unless they had children when they were 16 or 18. <clears throat> but you may think, well, you know, here we are, and we live in North Carolina, and this is what, I, this is what I'm doing, and, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think that any of this is for a reason. Don't, don't throw that out too quickly because the footsteps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. 
And maybe your family needed something that God wanted to give. Maybe there's a purpose. Maybe there's a role. Maybe there's a commission. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's a child. Maybe there's a grandchild that's somehow laying there that God wants to use in a special way. And you might be shaking your head, Brother Jason. You might be looking here and saying, how in Hickory, North Carolina, how in the world? How in the world, Brother Sam? How? And hey, this is the town I tried to get away from. And here I am, Sister Tracy, here I am. And, you, you know, you started thinking about who knew. I got an answer for that. God knew. What's my role? My role is to surrender to him, expressing himself through me without doubt or reservation. Does that make sense? Because that's what John the Baptist did. But Satan gets in there and causes him to think and start to reason and everything else. But Jesus said, you go back and tell John the words fulfilled for this day. You go back and tell John that the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. You go back and tell John that everything that he's, he said about this day, everything he said about me, everything he said about the program of God, it's come in the past. And John's played his part and played it well. And it may not be coming out under the circumstances that you think are the way it should come out. But you know what? God's ways are higher than our ways. His ways are more perfect than our ways. Your way is not to try to figure it all out or to try to find a better way. Your, your job, your role is to surrender to God's way and say, Lord, I put my life in your hands a long time ago and I never took it back. So Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to lead me. And if I'm not on the right path, then Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to lead me in a way that fulfills your purpose. Not that makes me feel good. Not that makes me feel easier at all about the whole process, but Lord, just let me fulfill your will because the acts of the believers in the Bible is an expression of what God was trying to do, what God was trying to fulfill. All the acts of the believers has been in type expressing God's goal. And you know what God's goal is? God's goal is to get you to the wedding supper. Come on, somebody say amen. God's goal is to get you to your house in the millennium. God's goal is not to get you rich. God's goal, I'm sorry, is not to get you married. God's goal, it, it may include that. But let me tell you, God's not sitting there trying to wring in his hands, trying to say, but there are no boys, there's no boys, there's no boys. God's not doing that. God knows the path that you're going to take. God knows how to get you uh, married and have children you're supposed to have and all of that because it all depends on whose name is on that Lamb's Book of Life. I'll tell you what. God's goal is to get you into a new body. God didn't make any bodies that are just extra. God didn't make bodies that nobody belongs to. God made bodies for every one of us. And his goal is to try to get you there. His goal is to try to get you out of here, into there. His goal is not to leave you in this falling kingdom. His goal is to get you into the kingdom of God. His goal is to get you where you came from. His goal is to get you in a place where you can live the way he wants you to live. And not question it and not doubt it and just say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what God's after in your life. God's great goal is for you to believe. God's great goal is for you to express. God's great goal is for you to live where he wants me to live. God's great goal is for you to become what God had in his mind. It may not be the easiest path. It may not be the path that makes sense. It may not be the thing that, uh, you know, just uh, all kind of clicks and falls into place. Because you can imagine a guy like Hosea. I wonder, I wonder, did he die still wondering? 
Why in the world did I marry her? I hope you never say that. If you do, don't ever say that. <laughs> I've had people tell me that in counseling, but I will tell you, don't, you got to wonder, you got to wonder, did David die with that feet? I, I, I don't know about you, I don't know about your past, but I've been spit on. And I can tell you, I can still feel that. There's no feeling like it. And I can still feel it. And I wonder, did David, I was spit on because of the message and, and, and given it out to somebody. But I, I wonder, did David die with all of his experiences and, and, and die wondering, why did God let him spit on me? Of all, of all the, the most insulting and degrading things, and Lord, I'm your king. I never asked to be king. Samuel dug me up. And he spit on me. And I told him, let him alone. I wonder, did he die with that going through his mind, wondering? So eternity will be the place, probably, where all of those things will all be sorted out. Oh. All of the acts of the believers. What are you expressing? So, let's say, you know, I I come along, and I'm just one an example here, but let's just say I come along and I say, well, you know, God says this, and just for an example, God says this about movie theaters or smoking cigarettes or using bad language or something else. And, and I can give you a direct statement where Brother Random condemns that, and I give you a direct statement where the Bible talks about that. And you're sitting there saying, well, you know, that was 60 years ago that was said. I got a question for you. If it was 50, would it be okay? To... At what point do we set a number of years? Don't mess with the absolute. I'm giving you a piece of advice. Don't, don't start moving chess pieces around on the board that God laid out. Don't mess with the absolute. There's some reason somewhere, even if you don't see it, there's some reason why God said what he said. Don't start saying, well, I don't think he really meant that about trimming my hair. Don't start doing that. Because if you move one piece, you'll move a second. Don't start playing that game. Because that's a mind game. And that's where Satan operates. Don't start saying, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't have to get my hair cut because that's who I am. Well, hey, that's great. But don't profess to be a believer. That's all. Because you're creating a question. You're creating a, a, an anomaly. You're creating, you know, a, 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 a controversy here. Or in other words, let's, let's make it ridiculous. Let's say if somebody came in here and... Uh, and uh, halfway through the service, a stranger, you know, somebody out, out of the world, walked in off the street, and then halfway through the service, we took a smoke break. 
and went outside and smoked. And I don't say it doesn't happen because I've been in churches where it does happen. Not message churches, but they took a smoke break. And I was talking to the I was talking to the person who was running the service, and he'd blown cigar smoke in my face, you know, and I'm, okay. What, what exactly are you expressing here? Your expressions, your actions, tell who's living inside you. And all the believers in the Bible have always had the responsibility to express the right thing. Look, let's pick it up. Let's pick it up again. But let me leave you with a little story. Musicians, you be ready. Not yet, but be ready. In the First World War, trench warfare was a terrible thing. Terrible thing. And there was an author, a French guy, who was writing a story, a very well-known story, about a conversation that took place in one of those trenches. Don't read it yet. And <clears throat> there was a bomb, sh- a bomb that hit the, the trench. And, and when it hit the trench... There was a bunch of people who died instantly, and then there were some people who were badly injured and so forth. And these two guys were in this trench, and one of the men knew that he only had minutes to live. He knew that he only had a little bit of time. He was bleeding and, and, and knew he was a goner. So he reaches over to his friend Dominic, and he says, Listen, Dominic, and now you can read it. You've led a very bad life. Everywhere you want, you're wanted by the police but there are no convictions against me. My name is clear. So take my wallet, take my papers, my identity, take my good name, my life, and hand me the papers, hand me your papers, that I may carry your crimes with me in death. And this French writer wrote a book based on that conversation altogether. Do you understand that Jesus is trying to make it so clear that at Calvary, he grabbed a hold of you. And even though it may not have been 2,000 years ago, it might have been 10 years ago, but he grabbed a hold of you and said, you're wanted. (laughs) You're a marked man. You're, You're bound for hell. Take my wallet. Take my identity. Take my name. Take, and I'll take yours. And I'll die with that. I'll take that to death with me. You know what? You walk away with a new identity. If you do that, you walk away with a new identity. That's who I was. This is who I am. That's who I was. This is who I am. The act of redemption made that possible for you, Anderson, because there was was an old Anderson, and you know what? That went the way of death when Jesus died on Calvary. He took that. He took that from you. But in exchange, he gave you his name, his identity. He gave you his wallet. He gave you a new identity. Glory to God. He gave you a new identity. Musicians, you just slip up here. He gave, you, he gave you something new that now you can go and say, I, I'm, not, I'm not just a coffee now. I was born that way, but, but I'm a Christian now. I'm a card-carrying Christian now. And I, I, have a, I have a new life. I have a new identity. I have a new way. I have a new, 
New name. I have a new destiny. I have everything about me now has changed because somebody, somebody in death took my old one and gave me a new one and said, it's yours and it's free. It didn't cost anything. And the beautiful thing, Brother Joe, is that God is still, Jesus is still reaching out to people and saying, take my identity. Keep yours and you know what? You're a goner. Keep yours and you're bound for jail. Keep yours and you're bound for hell. Take mine and be free. Amen. Take mine and be a new man. Take mine and be a new creature in Christ. That's what he's saying. Wow. That's my identity. And my, my name, and the reason that Jesus did that for me is because my name was on that book in Revelation chapter 5. And John, he looked at that book and saw it was going nowhere. And he looked at that and said, no one's worthy to open the book. Everything about John was in that book. Everything, John's name, John's identity, John's destiny, his origin, everything was in the book. And no man's worthy to take the book. In other words, it's sitting right there. No one's making a move. Who's worthy to take the book? Nobody's worthy. And John's weeping because he says, if somebody doesn't take the book, you know who's the rightful owner of that? Satan from the Garden of Eden, right? Satan's the rightful owner of that book. He's the next one in line for, for that book. And if John realized, hey, if Satan's got the book, we're all in trouble. There's no hope, right? So all of a sudden, the line of the tribe of Judah is going to take the book. And then John looks around, looks for the lion, sees the lamb, and the lamb come and take the book like that and sat on the throne. And John said, hey, hey, glory to God. If he's got the book, everything's going to be okay. If he's got the book, we're good. If he's got the book, my identity is described in the book there. My life is in that book. Does that make sense to you? Yes. You've got to believe, saints of God. You've you got to be like that, that, that nurse that's standing there in the middle of battle and say, hey, you know, we're all in this together. We're fighters together. We're all soldiers. We're in the same uniform, flying the same flag here. And if we're going to die, we're probably all going to die together here. And you know what? I'm not leaving because you know what? I'm, I'm, that's, that's, who, that's who we are. Your determination ought to be the same. Not necessarily, you know, an allegiance to this church like a cult. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about, hey, I'm in this with the army of the Lord. I'm in this in Christ's kingdom and his kingdom on earth here and the church of Jesus Christ, the bride. That's what I'm a part of. And hey, I'm not going to run off and, and go off and do something else or start my own way or come up with my own message or something else. Hey, listen, this is, this is for real. This is for good. This is for keeps. This is for eternity. And that's what you need to be confident of, that you're one of those, you're one of them, that you are a child of God that he died for on Calvary and secured your freedom and gave you a new identity and you walked away with a new wallet and a new name and a new identity and a new path and a new, new destiny. Everything about you was new after you walked away from, uh, from the foot of the cross. Glory to God. And he did that and he didn't ask you to pay a penny. He didn't ask you to do anything in, in return. He just said, just take it and go, take it and go. And that soldier would have took that name and that wallet and put it in there. I'm now not that, I'm this. And I can proudly say, I hope you can proudly say, I'm not what I once was, but I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not perfect, but you know what? That's because I'm still in this body here. But in the eyes of God, I'm accepted in the beloved. That's what the Bible says. I make mistakes. I make them. I make them lots. But I'll tell you what, when God looks at me, he looks at me through the blood of Christ. And he sees in me no fault. Because my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Yes. Glory to God. Let's stand to our feet.
Let's rejoice. Let's, let's thank him for his goodness and his mercy to us. <clears throat> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I was wretched and blind and see praise God praise God I'm a child of the King once again oh, oh yes oh yes I'm a child of the King and His And I, who was wretched and vile, now can see. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I'm a child. This whole world will never hold me. In a moment I'll be gone. For I made my consecration. And I've got no wedding garment on. Sing it now. Yes, this whole world.
Jesus, sign my pardon. You didn't know that song was out here. How many of you have ever sung that song before? Well, we know you just did. We, we, let me tell you, I'm glad he signed my pardon. I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he did that. I'm glad that he made a way. And he wants you to know it. And he wants you to enjoy it. And he wants you to express it. And he wants you to witness it. He wants you to tell everybody about it. And he wants you to love the idea of where we're going more and more. Are you glad you came to church today? Hey, these, these things, these things, just the message Christ the mystery of God revealed, these are things that prophets only once knew. And now God opens the book and reveals it all and gives it to the believers who are on earth. And that's you and me. What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing. We're going to slow it down just a little bit and we're going to have a word of prayer this morning. And um, I want you to go with, with this, in your, this in your thought process that God paid a very high price for you to be here. And I believe that it behooves us to embrace what, what these statements are telling us, what these Bible verses are telling us. They're true, absolutely true. And they work, they're real. God is gracious to us, for sure. Infinite 
together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the promises that are contained in your word so clearly. And Lord, may our lives now be a reflection, Lord, of your purpose, your great purpose, the thing, Lord, you're trying to accomplish in your people, Lord. And you have been over all the years of man's existence on the earth, Lord. The whole Bible is filled with expressions, Lord, of what you are trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do. Lord, whether we look at it from the Old Testament or from uh, the, the perspective of the early church, Lord, or even our day, and we see, Lord, a, a prophet come in the last day, and so many things he did, Lord, were unexplainable, but they fulfilled a part. And now, Lord, it's our place. It's our turn. It's our, it's our day, Lord, in this great drama. And, Father, I pray that you would inspire us, Lord. May we not draw back at the things we know you're leading us to do, but Lord, may we attentive, Lord, to that one voice. And in Jesus' name, I commit the people to you, Lord. May we be encouraged in leaving today. I pray, Lord, for those who are sick and those that need your touch, Lord. We certainly thank you, Brother Keith, and, and ask you, Lord, to undertake for him and his needs, Lord. And Father, there's so many others. And we thank you, Brother Precious, over in Malawi, Lord, dealing with malaria. And Father, I, I just know that you're a healer no matter where people are located and where they're found. Lord Jesus, we look to you and thank you, Lord, for this gathering. Thank you for this place. And we'll give you praise and honor in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. And amen. And amen. We have financial peace back here at 5 o'clock tonight. Sing this as you go. I stand and in all of you, yes I stand, oh, I stand in all of you, only God to all praises to I stand.
stay.